Hello and welcome to Stories from Another Day, a Collingwood Museum podcast. I'm your host, Ken Mahar, and together we're on a journey to uncover the stories of the people and the events that make our town of Collingwood into the amazing place it is today. This is Season 2, Episode 4, and today's story is Deck the Hull. The crisp night air had a bite to it, but no one seemed to mind. The whole family was enjoying the snow and the bustle of friends and neighbors out on the street after dark. Plus, they all knew that if things got too cold, Mother had packed a thermos of hot tea. The drifts were getting taller now, so they knew they were getting closer to downtown. You could hear the jingle of the horses and the low murmur of voices even these last few blocks away. Young Bill was up front guiding the family's dog, harnessed to the little sled. On the way home, it would be full, and he would have to help push it. But for now, only little Mary sat happily aboard. Or tried to. She had a habit of falling off every time they went over a large drift of snow, and the sled tilted even a little bit. Now, if her older brother grew impatient, having to stop and hold back the excited dog while trying to help his little sister back onto the sled again. He covered it well, and the gesture brought a smile to both his parents' faces. "'Tis the season,' they thought to themselves. It was Bill, up front with the dog, who rounded the corner onto Huron-Terrio first and called back to the rest with an excited shout. "'They lit it! They lit it! Come and see!' Only short moments later, little Mary had rolled off the sled and raced to stand beside her brother. Bouncing up and down, she sang out, Oh, look, Daddy, isn't it wonderful? Look at all the pretty colors. Her little feet practically floated off the snow-covered ground. Does this mean it's going to be a good Christmas, Mama? Yes, Mary, her mother replied, smiling and taking her daughter's mittened hand. A very good Christmas indeed. Well then, what are we waiting for? Came the father's big voice as he sidled up to survey the scene before them. The stores are open, the evening's growing late, and little ones need to get home to bed eventually, he said with a wink at his children. So, let's get going. The day is a typical one late into the month of December, in the hard years between the two world wars. Christmas has not yet arrived, but plans are now being put in place for the celebrations which would soon blanket every home in town. But the question always, would it be a good Christmas? I guess the answer to that question, for many of those particularly lean years, really depended on the Christmas lights filling little Mary's eyes at the end of Huron-Terrio Street. You see, for so many of those lean years of our town's history, and our town had many lean years, this fact was a given. 
At Christmas time, the stores of Collingwood depended in large part on the fortunes of the shipyard. As Toots Burns recalls in Christine Cowley's book Butchers, Bakers, and Building the Lakers, a common question asked in those of the know and often repeated in the weeks leading up to the Christmas holidays would be what's going to happen around Christmas time. Many of the merchants, you see, were continually looking to adjust what they should have or how much new stock they should bring in. For the fortunes of the shipyards seemed to affect every business alike. If the shipyard was going to be working, well, then everything was good, and the people would be doing plenty of Christmas shopping. And what was one of the first signs that the shipyards were promising a good Christmas? Why, the Christmas lights at the end of here, Ontario Street. But for many of the years, the Christmas tree at the end of here, Ontario, was never the big tree it is now, what with being right at the launch basin. So the Christmas tree at the end of the street was, for so many years, the ship at the end of here, Ontario Street. You see, if there was one in the yard under construction, it would be decorated to look just like a tree. That was amazing. The best part, Ed Houghton, a longtime resident, remembered. Driving down from Duntroon Hill, the first thing you would see was the ship at the end of here, Ontario, with all the Christmas lights on it, and you knew you were home. But what if there was no hull all decked out? Well, if not, things would certainly be leaner, the presents more sparse, but the joy of the season would be no less magical. Even in the thinnest of years, many of the shipyard employees and their families could still at least look forward to the annual Christmas party held each year at the Gaiety Theatre. The very same local theatre, whose sign was also infamously, well, that sign is a story for another day. On this day, the shipyard was indeed a going concern, so the stores were busy preparing for their big Christmas sales. Yet that Christmas shopping was not exactly like it is today. For one thing, there tended to be a lot less of it for most people, even in the good years, and most of what was purchased were necessities or special foods for the family suppers. Anita Miles, in her book, The Chicago of the North, records that C. Stevens' store, located just south of the town hall building, listed the following in the early 1900s. Seasonable underwear for men and boys that are extra special values. All prices from 50 cents to $3. Woohoo. Or how about this one? New lace curtains, the fine kind that women like, from $1 per pair to $8. I'm not sure that would be as winning an ad anymore. And again, at the turn of the century, an advertisement in the Collingwood Bulletin run by Brown's Books, then located where Saunders' office supply store would later be, 
Red in part dolls, toys, games, we have them in endless profusion. Too early, you say? Not a bit. We will store your purchases until you require them. In fact, most of the stores at that time, even between the world wars, would happily deliver orders, and it was done through the winter months, usually by horse and sleigh, not by truck. The roads weren't plowed then, and the ruts tended to get very deep on some of the roads. This also set up another grand winter tradition, as the town's children were known to catch rides on the backs of any passing sleigh, preferably the urgent ones, to get around town faster than walking in the deep snow. And most of the time, they didn't wait for an invitation. Unlike the much later Christmas tradition we spoke about in Season 1, Episode 15, The Bells of St. Harry, where those sleigh rides were not only encouraged for one and all, but for young and old alike. Indeed, Sandell's Meat Market, we hear, could do a brisk business of more than 300 hand-plucked turkeys over a normal holiday season. A Dominion Bakery's ad announced, Leave your orders for Christmas cakes, candies, figs, dates, and all kinds of nuts. In those years, these fruits were exotic, and so considered a real luxury for Christmas time. But then, I'm old enough to remember the same thing being true of Christmas oranges. One of these delicate little beauties, along with some peanuts in the shell and loose candy, form the bulk of every Christmas stocking or Sunday school Christmas Eve gift bag. To this day, my childhood memories of Christmas still smell of oranges. Ruth Carmichael Bryan, in her book Tales of Collingwood, writes of her own cherished memories of Christmas in Collingwood in those very same lean and hard years. And her words will serve as a fitting summary. She writes, When we, he finished work that afternoon, my dad took me with him to the front common, where he cut a spruce tree and lashed it to my little sleigh, and we pulled it home as if it were a great trophy. The air was perfectly still, and the snow squeaked under our overshoes as we walked. Big snowflakes began to fall. They fell, patterns intact, just as they had frozen. I turned my face up, opened my mouth, and caught the falling snow on my tongue. My father smiled at me. He never said much, but his face showed everything he felt, so perhaps words were superfluous. My mother was bustling about when we got home, complaining about all the work she had to do and how she would have to dress the tree because no one else was competent to do it with any degree of taste. It was an exuberant sort of complaining that meant she was very satisfied with everything. We had steak for supper with green tomato pickle, and when the dishes were done, we went downtown in the dark to get the Christmas presents. The stores stayed open until midnight on Christmas Eve. Sleigh bells tinkled all up and down the snow-slick streets. 
farmers on flat-top sleighs pulled by Clydesdales sat in their bearskin coats, holding the reins in double-mittened hands, and every now and then clapped a hand against their sides to keep the circulation going. They would be overtaken by a high-riding fast cutter, lanterns swinging from the rear saucily, buffalo robe or bear skin thrown across the knees of the riders. Steam puffed from the horses' nostrils, freezing the hair on their faces, and every now and then the crisp air would bear a pungent waft of horse manure, and every hundred yards or so a pile of fresh manure smoldered in the frosty night. There weren't many cars on the street, and those that ventured out had winter chains on their tires, and still the whole and exquisitely patterned snow fell and the street lamps etched their every detail. Downtown, my dad went off to my uncle's tobacco shop. Buying presents was a task my dad rejected. There was a run on Woolworths and the variety stores. There was going to be presents that Christmas, but few people were going to be embarrassed because they got more than they gave. We bought a great bundle of things, but all I can remember buying was a tin of Herbert Territon's pipe tobacco for my dad, and that was because my mother said it was scented and didn't cling to the curtains. My father hated the stuff, but he smoked it and kept my mother in good humor over the Christmas season then sneakily reverted to his old chum, which my mother thought was a match for those smoldering piles of manure in the street. It was coming home, I remember most, because I was a constant prey for bronchitis. I was rarely out when darkness fell in winter. While we were among the brightly lighted stores, I didn't notice that the snow had stopped. But when we got as far as the high school, where the street lights thinned out, the stars hung down like prisms of clear ice in a coal-black sky. I held my mother's hand and let her guide me home while I stared straight up into the heavens until I seemed to float with the stars. The brightly festooned shipyard hulls may have been replaced by a real tree as our town's fortunes have waxed and waned, but the joy of the Christmas season is still there for those who know where to look. And whatever form your celebration may take, whether extravagant or more subdued, whether full of family and friends or quiet and close-knit, from all of us, to each of you, we hope yours will be a good Christmas. Wouldn't you know it, after putting together a story on Christmas and the shipyards, we discovered that at the museum, we do not have a single picture of any of the shipyard hulls decorated for the holiday season. 
Please forgive us if it's a little tacky asking for a particular present for Christmas, but if any of our listeners out there or someone in your family has a picture of one of the shipyard halls decorated for the Christmas season, and you'd be willing to share it with us, we would love to have a look. Leave us a quick note on Facebook or send us an email. That's museum at collingwood.ca. And now it's your turn. What about your family? Do you have any special Christmas traditions? For those of you who grew up here in Collingwood, what's your favorite memory of Christmas's past? We would love to hear them all because we're suckers for a good holiday story. In my own house, we don't have a lot of long-standing Christmas traditions, um, but we do have a couple that we look forward to every year. The, the first is the annual debate over where we should put the Christmas tree this year. Uh, we have a smaller house and a family of six, so uh, it's always a bit of a puzzle as to where we can fit a tree large enough for the presents that need to go under and still give us the normal living space that we need. I think I can say that in the 15 years we've been in our house, I don't think the tree has been in the same place more than twice. It's almost a tradition unto itself, the, the game that we play now to see if there's new and strange places that we can manage to fit this thing in. Now, that silly tradition aside, we do have one that I really do enjoy and, and that really has come to be at the center of what makes Christmas special for me. About a decade ago, as my children got a little bit older and were capable of uh, doing a little bit more, we took on the tradition of drawing names of family members, usually sometime in November, for the express purpose of a family gift exchange. Each year, we make sure that we get a different name so everyone has a chance to give and receive from someone else. But it's not just a gift exchange where you go out and, and buy something. No, this gift exchange needs to be something that you have made with your own hands. And, and to my children's credit, they really look forward to this too. The opportunity to make something for a brother or their sisters or their mom or dad. And then that's our Christmas Eve after church, when we come home, uh, we have some snacks and some food, and we open those handmade gifts to one another. My favorite part. Again, what's your favorite part? We'd love to hear. Leave us a message at our webpage. That would be anchor.fm forward slash stories, or send us an email, museum at collingwood.ca. Again, we are suckers for good holiday stories and holiday traditions. And speaking of holiday traditions, we have a couple at the museum. Now, these would be considered fairly new traditions too, but 
we are very happy to be able to do them again. First, we'd love to invite you to come and visit the museum staff who will be at downtown Collingwood's Christmas Market again this year. That runs on December the 2nd, the 9th, and the 16th, so there's still a couple of opportunities. There, uh, the museum will have a booth right in front of Town Hall. It runs from 5 to 8 on each of those nights. Stop by and say hello, browse through some of our great gift options, like the second of our Christmas traditions, our annual Give a Gift and Get a Gift. We ran this last year, and we were so happy that we wanted to do it again. Are you looking for a historic gift this holiday season? Then the museum invites you to give the gift of a personalized museum membership and receive a 25% off coupon to the museum's gift shop for yourself. For more information, again, you can see us at that booth at the Collingwood Christmas Market, December 2, December 9, and December 16th or stop by the museum in person, or check out our website for more information. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Once again, we hope that you and yours may have a very good Christmas. Thank you for listening, and tune in again for more stories from another day.